0: Hello, and welcome to season three of the E3 podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about building science, healthy homes, architecture, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. So welcome back to the podcast. I am excited to have another energy aficionado on today. So Noah Lawrence is here from Bear Building Efficiency Resources to tell us a little bit more about what he's been doing, what he's up to in New York. So Noah, tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are and what you've been up to.
1: Yeah. So my name is Noah Lawrence and I am a hers Raider for Building Efficiency Resources, but I don't actually do the work of a normal hers Raider because Um, Bear is a HERS provider, quality assurance, and training organization. We don't actually do the ratings ourselves. We just help the raters in the field or with their office work. So I started out with Bear helping with modeling because that's one of our services. If you want to send us your plans and all of your info, we can help build the model, take some of the office load off of the raters that are really busy. And uh, then I had the opportunity to go on the fine home building podcast, and my bosses really liked that. So now I'm working in the model or marketing and social media side as well. So and I'm training to be a quality assurance designee, so that would allow me to go out and visit other raiders in the field and just make sure that they're doing everything up to the standards that they're supposed to be doing it to.
0: I think it's awesome that your company provides that. Do you provide that for raters across the country or only for raters who are under your providership?
1: So under our providership, there are hers raters all across the country under our providership. And if people want to take trainings with us, that doesn't matter who their provider is or who they do QA with. We do QA for some companies that are providers for their own employees, but they don't want to take on the quality assurance part of things. So thing, um, there's a lot of different ways that Bear can help support rating companies.
0: Yeah, so that's it's great. nationwide.
1: Over half of the states we have raters in, and the dozen or so employees that work at Bear have been remote since well before the pandemic because we are all across the country to help facilitate that.
0: And I think, um, once you understand the science behind it and you understand the rating program, um, it should be fairly easy for you to take that technical data and put it into a program, no matter where your raters are at. So, you know, here in Maine, there are only a couple of us, uh, who are raters. And, um, I know a lot of times we did a study I think it was last year for our efficiency provider um, to try to determine what, what was being built newly in the state and how our state could help provide better resources for the efficiency programs we have. And um, I know it was tough because there are only a couple of us. And so having somebody who's in the office at our providership uh, who could do some of the, like, here's all the information you need. uh, You know, can you do the, the model for us is really great because when you I think it's important to know how to do both and the information that you want to collect and definitely to get out in the field and really understand the data that you're collecting. Um, but at the same time, if you're a field raider and you're out in the field all the time so you get back to the office, you're tired and exhausted and you know it's just that extra level of things to do. But um, I became a raider, I think maybe 10 years ago. And, um, it's sort of been my philosophy or whatever, that it would be great if we could get the MLS to start putting the HERS rater numbers in there and start, you know, having some comparison for our existing housing stock and our new housing stock. And to try to hopefully, I think my end goal was to change how we appraise our buildings so that buildings that are built better with more efficiency would have better, you know, appraisal value. Um, Clearly we're still working on that <laughs> 10 years later. We haven't gotten there yet, but does your company do anything with policy to try to push forward, like trying to get hers Raidership um, just more widely adopted? So it sounds like you're doing social media and you're doing marketing and you're bringing, um, you're bringing awareness to it, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. What are you seeing as you've been trying to, to do more of that?
1: Um, I, I think that it's slowly moving in the right direction for the real estate stuff. Um, that's slightly above my head. I think the two big bosses at the company are really involved with ResNet and the board and all that, trying to push this forward. And um, as far as like supporting growing the HERS rating industry, we're working on a ton of different things at Bear. We're um, trying to be ahead of the game with, trainings and providing highest quality content as far as that goes so that existing companies can bring their staff up to speed quickly and efficiently so that we can grow it that way but I you're right I think that the uh, mortgage side of it if we could get that completely straightened out would really help but it's growing it's getting there
0: yeah, it's growing. It's definitely something that we've been talking about. And I think that we'll continue to talk about until hopefully it gets adopted as part of it. we're seeing, you know, widespread adoption of more stringent codes across the country, which is really nice um, And starting to get to the point where some of our codes are in some parts of the country, getting pretty close to, you know, almost passive house levels um, with the new 2021 code. That's, that's kind of coming around and people with the stretch code. Um, and getting there which is which is awesome and so we're starting to see hopefully a shift in new construction towards you know more of this um when i started doing the hers rating we also were doing um we did a big training on energy efficient mortgages trying to kind of explain how that works and how people could take advantage of you know access to money but it's again a, a lending issue and a introduction issue because um, your real estate agent really has to introduce it to you when you first look at a house, because there's just a lot you have to do between when you look at a house and when you sign your final documents, um, for closing on a house. And, um, unfortunately there's just a lot of stuff that has to happen during that time period. And if it doesn't go through, (laughs) they don't get any of that time back or that, you know, so it's, it's just kind of an interesting. Process to try to connect funding with people, you know, buying existing houses or going to build a new house or allowing a builder who, or developer who has built a pretty good house to leverage some of that in like, we've, you know, we've changed all of these components in it so that you're um, reducing, what it costs monthly to live in those houses. And, you know, you're in New York, I'm in Maine in the wintertime, it's cold, you know, (laughs) like we won't be comfortable in these houses. And so trying to, trying to connect comfort and what we spend on our energy to how our houses are built and what our ventilations, it's it's just fascinating. Um, Mm -hmm. so when you're out doing a hers hers rating, so you said you're training to do quality assurance. Um, I know our quality assurance designee, Kevin, uh, up here, he's in um, New Hampshire, uh, is great because it's always like every time I have to see him, I'm like, OK, what do I need to learn that's new? How have the policies changed? You know, what new equipment is out there? So what's your favorite part of, of doing a HERS rating?
1: Um, well, usually it's educating a builder if I'm like directly involved or getting to meet other hers raters. That was like, I've done a few quality assurance where I'm being like mentored through it and getting to actually go out and meet a hers rater and talk to them about building science and how they're going through it. And like, maybe they'll need a a pointer here or there, like, hey, but um, that was the most rewarding part of it to me is getting to meet all these people that are passionate about energy efficiency Um, it's a lot better than when you're trying to convince a builder that energy efficient is the way to go. (laughs) Um, Yeah. The meeting of passionate people would definitely be my favorite part of HERS rating.
0: Yeah. I think there's a big building science community and passion is probably a great word to describe uh, those people, whether they're HERS raters, whether they're pretty good house adopters, whether they're passive house adopters or, you know, living building challenge these people are really interested in taking, um, you know, for me, it's taking how we build to the next level and putting the science and the building together, which is, really personally interesting for me. I like to, to figure out the components and the details and how does this all connect together? And like, where's the science in that? Like, where's the moisture going to go? How is this going to dry out? What materials do we have? That's the stuff that's really exciting to me. The less exciting stuff, um, when I'm doing hers rating is, um, we don't have a lot of, um, ducted systems in Maine. So using the duct blaster and having to do testing uh, for duct leakage, in force hot air systems. um, It was always one of those things where every time I had to do it, I'm like, okay, remind myself again, how to do this, because it's like one in a million that I have these. I mean, it's obviously not one in a million, but it's, it's very, rare that we had those because up until about five years ago, there wasn't a lot of air conditioning in Maine. People just didn't, didn't really do it. And so everybody had a boiler, nobody had a furnace that was ducted. Um, But now we're starting to talk about ventilation systems and air conditioning and some of that will change. And the market's really moving towards all electric, whether it's, you know, an air to water system or ductless mini splits or, just all electric with solar panels. Um, so for me, it's just fascinating to see. Um, I personally use Ecotrope. I know, um, I think ResNet still does REM rate as well.
1: Yep, yep. Um, I also use Ecotrope primarily. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So for me, shout out for Ecotrope because I'm a Mac based office and Ecotrope is all online. And so I don't have to partition my hard drive to use Ecotrope, which I really loved. But I also love that it's a cloud based software, you know. So it's it's all there. You don't have to go and look for your files and where did I save that or whatever. You just kind of log in as you, and there's all your information and um, we do semi customizable plan sets. So we might have two or three versions where maybe we've added a little bit more square footage, or we've changed an orientation on a plan. And so it's great that you can just go into the original, you can make a copy of it and you can change the orientation and you can have immediate access to how that's going to affect the
1: energy of your building. So, um, That's I love the modeling piece of it. And, uh, when I first got access to the modeling software, I definitely just played around with it forever. Like what happens if I triple this domestic hot water length or what happens when I change the orientation or when I put a bunch of windows on this side? I love the modeling part of it, but we could go back to uh code compliance because you were talking about that and how you think that as we get stricter, we're headed towards that net zero anyway, or that's what hopefully the codes will be going towards in the next decades. Um, I think that HERS raters have a big part to play in that. If you get your builders to start using the ERI path, and then you explain them to them where they need to be, and then like, oh, but we could do a couple things to bring this score down even further. I think that that's part of the value in the HERS rating system is we have that energy expert that's introduced early enough in the process, hopefully, definitely before pre drywall, to affect some change to bring it even lower than code, even if you're just shooting for code. Cause I think that that's one of the things we need to just slowly introduce these concepts to builders so that they can adopt them and get better scores over time and hopefully beat code before it even comes out.
0: Well, and I think you brought up an important part there too, when we were talking about code, which is not even necessarily if they're trying to hit a score, but every time the code gets updated and changed, there's a new knowledge base of how to achieve even just the code. So um, for us in Maine, they just adopted the 2015 IECC. So we went from just having R21 in our wall systems, which no one ever took into account that the the 15 to 25% framing factor means that your wall is not actually R21 if you've got a bunch of framing in it. But that's just a whole nother discussion. But Now our wall systems are 20 plus five, but depending Mm -hmm. on how you build that in our climate zone, that's a condensation issue. So depending on the types of insulation that you have, where your vapor smart membranes may or may not be, and the type of insulation you have on the outside and where your sheathing layer is 20 plus five might not be enough. So you may end up having something in your wall system that's stopping the water from drying out properly and it's a cold surface. And so for me, I think because I trained as a HERSRater and I do this as, as an architect, I think hersraiders Raiders could be a huge stepping stone for helping people to adopt the code in a less risky fashion, because I do worry that there are so many products that are available on the market and there's not a lot of introduction to like, okay, what, what's in this material? How does it work? How does it, you know, affect the, the built up system that we have. And that's something as hers writers that we're taught to understand, you know, we're taught to know, how do these wall systems go? Not just from an energy perspective, but also from, you know, a a durability perspective. And I think that, um, I think it's in Vermont. They, they don't have a code, but the efficiency Vermont has access, I think to hers Raiders for anybody who's building new in the state. And I thought, boy, wouldn't that be the best thing, uh, for our energy programs to do is, is, uh, support more people becoming hers Raiders and, helping our building industry transition to building safer homes because the last thing you want to get is a callback that something failed. And Mm -hmm. so um and instead of us saying, you know, that we're happy that the code is improving, but we're concerned about how it's going to improve, we can say, you know, we're happy that the code is improving. Here's your access to someone who can help you make the next level.
1: So Exactly. There's a new um, designation called the IECC HERS Compliance Specialist that's a joint certification between the two organizations, ResNet and the International Energy Codes Council, that kind of helps raters prove to those code enforcement officers that, hey, we have the knowledge of the energy code. It's a complex thing and we've studied it and we have the other building science knowledge to help these builders achieve the energy code so let us in on this project uh, process in new york we already have third party electrical inspections that's required so why don't we move towards that with energy too
0: we actually just talked about this on bs and beer i think it was um last week when when martin was on talking about his book musings of an energy nerd about how at least I think it was on that. Honestly, I'm involved in so many building science topics everywhere. I think that's where I talked about this, but I heard about this. We were talking about, you know, how our plumbers have certifications, our electricians have certifications and certain parts of, you know, New York, you have additional, um, you know, overview of something before it gets submitted to, you know, either your permit. I don't know if you're doing any work in New York city, um, you have a third party inspector who goes through your drawings before you can do anything. And so, um, I think that's another place that in our industry is that the, you know, the builders and the insulators and stuff is like part of the struggle for them is there's not certification in every state and it's not across the board. And that, As building gets more complicated, we're just expected to know everything that's complicated instead of having access to people. You know, back in ancient Rome, maybe the architect was everything from the structural engineer through the builder, you know, understanding everything. But we don't do that anymore. You know, now you have structural engineers, mechanical engineers, you've got plumbing engineers, you've got designers and architects, you've got builders, you've got GCs, you've got a different contractor for every phase, the framing, the insulation, everything. And so the insulation and the air sealing details are so important in our buildings that I agree. There are people out there like us who have her certificates that can just come and make sure that all those targets are getting met. Um, I lived in New York for a couple of years up in Rochester, um, with my husband. And when I got registered in New York, uh, I can't remember if it was at the education department or if it was at the professional licensure, but uh, oh, I actually think it might have been Nicerta. Um, he said, I don't know if I've ever met an architect who's also a hers raider. <laughs> I was like, it, it's for me, it was critical. Like, how do I know what I'm supposed to be doing if I don't have any kind of training in this, you know? And so, yeah, it's,
1: it's definitely a shame that there aren't more architects. That are HERS raiders, or at least trained to do the modeling side of things so that they know what the HERS raiders are looking for. And that that's part of what I wanted to come on and talk about today is the HERS modeler training, is a upcoming training that ResNet has or upcoming designation that ResNet has created and Bear has created a training for. And it teaches you all the building science and plan reading and all of that mechanical knowledge that you're gonna to need to build the files properly for a hers rater. And so if you don't have the time to become a full hers rater or you don't have the field experience and you wanna take it piece by piece, I think that this is a great place to start. Engineers, architects, even hers Raiders that are already hers should brush up on their modeling skills and well, become I think more diverse.
0: It's also a great place to start for people who maybe aren't going to become full hers raters and do their Mm -hmm. own field inspections. But as designers and architects, we use that energy modeling to guide design decisions during our design phases. And so being able to build out that model and understand how the energy model works and how that's associated is just another decision-making level, you know, where do we have to have exterior shading? You know, how, how hot is it going to be in this room if we've got a fully west facade that's full of glass in, you know, a primarily cooling dominated area of the country? And so I think that it can have a big impact on how our buildings are designed, you know, not just the, the details of, you know, okay, we're going to do X, Y, and Z in our wall system, but, you know, looking at that orientation and how it sits on the site and the shading and the heating components of how our buildings work, is just another level of how we create it. And, you know, it's going to take into consideration if you've got 5,000 jogs in this wall system, you know, maybe that's just not, not so great. Obviously mm-hmm. a cube is <laughs> one of the most efficient, things that you can do, but people get tired of cube things. And how do we make the cube look good? And um, so it's this delicate balance for a designer or architect to understand those efficiency pieces as you're designing, instead of trying to make something more efficient after you've designed it. And someone has fallen in love with this design that now you have a couple of key places where, you know, we have all that West facing glass and it's going to get hot. So, yeah.
1: yeah, I also think that it's good for designers because you can play with the ventilation piece In today's day and age, people are thinking a lot more about their fresh air. So if you need to convince somebody that maybe we don't need double the ray standard, or you can play with that and show the energy penalty, or maybe you have discussions with your mechanical contractor about sizing a system and you need to show them you know maybe we don't need the second or third system in this house that look at what it does to our energy you know things like that
0: a valid point, too. So, ventilation is another hot button for me. I think that every house should have ventilation. I think we're moving towards that. I think we have no idea where the air in our houses comes from and what the materials in our houses have in them everything from your carpet and your furniture to your sheetrock and your spray foam insulation. Um, but you brought up another interesting part and something that I run into a lot. And I would never use my energy model to actually size a heating system, but it gives me a pretty good idea of what the BTU load on the house is going to be. And especially as, um, for me, we're building a lot more high performance houses. Our BTU loads, we just did a house and the BTU load was like 11,000 kBtu per hour. And traditional wisdom doesn't, make systems that are that small. And so then you say, okay, well, I can get a, I can get a mini split. That's 6,000 KBTU. So maybe I'll put two of these in. Right. And then you get back the pushback that, well, you know, they're, they're not in the right place or, or they, they can't get into all the different rooms and the spaces and everything. And you're like in a low load house, it's not going to get as cool, whatever. And we have this whole conversation about, yeah, it's great if every room was the same temperature, but oftentimes we like our bedrooms to be cooler and our living rooms to be warmer, depending on what we're doing in certain spaces. And so it's actually okay for it not to be the same temperature everywhere. And so then you get pushback that people want you to put electric baseboard in every room, you know, it's just like, we're trying to cut down on the mechanical systems and how this works. And, um, I still get people who say to me, um, oh, you can't do a house with just heat pumps here in Maine. And I'm like, I haven't built a house in five years that had anything other than heat pumps. Some of them have wood stoves and they might use that when the power goes out. Some of them don't have that either, you know? And so it's funny to me as we're trying to change the mechanical perception of these houses. And like you said, trying to keep from going from having a $30,000 heating system to $30,000 worth of heat pumps and mechanical ventilation and everything else, right? Still trying to keep it simple and group things together and have, you know, the plumbing be stacked and you know, in the hers model, it wants to know how far is the water heater from the farthest fixture. Right. So you get penalized if you're not being smart about your design.
1: Yeah. That actually was one of the things when I first started hers rating, that was like a light bulb moment to me. Like I have a degree in sustainable energy management. I've studied this stuff for years. And then I got into the hers software and I was like, why does it even want to know this? And I had to think about it, you know, like, because it's, lo- we're losing energy as we transport that water further and further away from where it was created. Like,
0: Well, and we're using more resources to get it there. We've got more pipe runs. We've got more chances for condensation. We've got cooler water. We're wasting water because we have to mm-hmm. wait at that farthest fixture for However long. And if that farthest fixture is the one that you use most frequently, then that's the worst one to be as far away from the water heater as possible. But even then, we put it in our energy model, we put it in our drawings, we say this is where it's gonna go. And I love um a lot of homeowners that I work with are kind of interested in what we're doing. And one of them said, you know, the, the builder showed up and he started to put in the hot water heater over in this corner. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. That's not where that goes. This is where it is on the plans. And they were like, yeah, but this is where we always put it. And they're like, yeah, we don't care about that. We need you to put it over here so that it's not as far away from our kitchen as it possibly can be. (laughs) And so Mm. I loved that, you know, I, I, as the architect or designer, I'm not always on site. And so when everybody on the team is on board with, oh yeah, this is why we're doing that, that's the best.
1: So So that's even if you think that you're an energy professional, you're probably going to find something in a HERS model that you're like, oh, okay, I need to pay attention to this, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so for me, I I've been doing energy auditing and energy modeling and stuff for a long time now. I think it makes me a better architect. I took the, lead exam way back in 2006, I've just always been really interested in it. You know, what's the next thing? What's the certification? Where's this going? How's it getting better? What can we do with it? Um, Unfortunately, I don't have time to do full HERS ratings myself anymore. So oftentimes I will do uh, an Ecotrope model. We do either an Ecotrope or a Wolfie model on all of our projects, um, just so that we know what targets we're, we're, we're aiming for. Um, and then I have a couple of friends up here who also do hers ratings that I'll say, okay, you know, let's, let's go do some field inspections and, you know, certify these. Um, so it's important, I think, but then I also look at it and I wonder, um, you know, it's, 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 so interesting right what the market is telling everybody they want and how much square footage they need and you know everything and i look at it and go all these houses with these hers ratings because they're really efficient they're really well designed and right? people just don't leave <laughs> so mm-hmm. they, they're not helping the market right now because they're not showing that it's what people want cuz they just they move in and they don't leave <laughs> they stay there forever
1: <laughs> i'm just curious what ballpark hers scores do your houses get like well, it it
0: depends um, because not every house is uh, solar ready. Mm. And so for our houses that are connected to some kind of community solar that's offsite or something, they're definitely in the like 40s, um, I would say. And then a lot of our houses, if you just use the score, we aim for zero. If you've got enough roof structure on here, we'll aim for zero. And then... We have, um, so in 2015, one of the first houses that I built with a developer, uh, GC a friend of mine, um, we put 20 panels on the roof. We knew from the HERS model that it wasn't enough, but we wanted to compare all the data to see how it would work and how it did and stuff. And it came in right on, on par with the, with the model, which, uh, with two years of data, which I thought was great. And so that one was an 11. So, um, with 20 panels, but there is room for another nine or 10 panels. So we just have two rows. So there, we wired it for an electric car and we knew we had enough room to put another row of panels on if we wanted to and that was in 2015 and I think the panels were 235s at the time and so now you can get a panel that's a 330 and so you're producing more with the same number of panels so
1: that's awesome that you have like the data from a real house to compare your her score with and that you've done that yeah
0: yeah so I try to stay in contact with you know any of my homeowners that are interested in doing that and try to connect that. The solar installer that we use a lot uses um, an online system. So we can just log into his system and see all of the houses that he's done that have, as long as they have Wi Fi at their house, we can see their systems. And they're separated out by each individual panel. So if I really wanted to go on and look and see, you know, at, Um, one of the houses we designed, um, we built an office over the garage and, um, I shared that office with my landscape architect. And so I could go on there and see like, how are the office panels doing? Um, so I'm that nerdy. (laughs) There are a lot of people who are, are probably not that nerdy, maybe not that interested, but I like to try to keep tabs on, you know, how's it doing? How well is it? Um, and just, you know, see how, how does it compare to what we did? And it's also a great way too, that if it's not doing as well as we anticipated, we can sometimes troubleshoot an issue, um, that perhaps the, the heat pump, it lost charge and has a leak somewhere. And maybe we need to investigate that or, um, you know, they're getting really high power bills and it turns out um, the power company is not giving them credits for for their solar, you know, and sometimes that's just a glitch in the system. Um, so there can be so many reasons why why certain things happen, and so it's good, I think, to to try to continue to gain that data. It also helps us make better choices. On the next one, you know, like the very first one we did, we're like, can we do it with builder grade windows? You know, because at the time in 2015, it was significantly cheaper to to get a standard window, and the energy performance between a standard window and you know a triple pane European window wasn't big enough to justify doing it. But what we learned was the comfort factor is what you're missing, and when it's 20 degrees outside and it's dark sitting next to those builder grade windows is cold. And so we had to put in waffle shades and, you know, pull those down. And so at night they have to close their windows and, you know, keep that so that their body heat isn't being given to the windows and to be comfortable in the space. And it's like, okay, what do we learn from this? And, and so for me, that's fascinating.
1: Yeah. I think that that's awesome. The, builders and architects who are willing to learn and hers Raiders who are willing to learn from each project are the ones that are going to really advance this industry.
0: Yeah well and I know that a lot of the hers Raiders and I don't know if this is across the board and across the country but at least here in Maine we've transitioned some of that to our community projects as well um, which is what can we learn? What have we learned from other projects that can be incorporated into a community project because it was either easier to build if they're being built by homeowners, like you think Habitat for Humanity, what is, you know, the healthiest option here? Like, what are the things we should be avoiding? Like what, what's some of this stuff that's kind of not going well or whatever you're doing these community projects. And we have a 1200 square foot ranch that has a blower door of 250 CFM and they're going to backdraft everything that's in here or the range hood doesn't work. Right. So um, it's great to see how we can transition the stuff that we're doing in our community projects and the stuff that we're doing in our regular work to learn from that. Like I love living building challenge. I think it's awesome. The things that they're bringing to the table on it, but it's, it's not a project that you're going to do for your community project. But if you can learn, 10 red list items that you can replace with something that's also easy to get or local, we're building better houses. So, um, so I think these certifications are important. It's sometimes frustrating and mind boggling that there are so many different ones. Um, like I said, I like to get them all. When I took the passive house course, um, part of the passive house course was, um, you know, just general building science. And the instructor said to me one day, he's just like, why are you here? (laughs) And I was like, you're going to teach me something. I don't know. You know? And I, I learned stuff because it's a different certification that cares about different things and it's every level and every opportunity to learn, um, how they work. And so, I still personally use the hers rating most frequently for what I do and the type of building that I do, but there's so much value in, you know, like you said, doing just the energy modeling portion or taking the passive house course and learning what else that can teach you. Even if you never build a passive house, taking the course, you'll absolutely learn things or taking the hers rater course, but not doing hers ratings, but knowing the information, um, So it's great that you guys offer training. Is your training online? Can people access training from wherever they are?
1: Yep. With like the rater and uh, RFI, there's like a little bit of field work. But if you work within a larger company, sometimes that company can take care of that field work. So yeah, our courses are almost entirely online. The modeler is entirely online. Um, Rating field inspector is kind of both. So that's the flip side of modeler where you can do all of the rating field work, but you don't work on the computer. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: So I think that's good though. There are plenty of people who don't want to sit in the office, don't want to do the energy model, but they do want to go out and they do want to do the inspections. And um, for a while while the market was really terrible, I was doing a lot more energy auditing and energy uh, work than I was doing um, architecture and, there was a time where there were several of us and we were all, you know, Raiders or had uh, some energy certification and we used to race to see who could put our blower doors up fast enough, like the fastest. And, you know, you just, some of the field work is just fun to do, especially when you're working with, you know, a group or a company. And we were doing, you know, units that were connected to each other. And so there'd be three of us that would have to set up our blower doors so we could contain the center unit. And, um, it was fun. I enjoyed field
1: work. (laughs) That sounds like a lot of fun. And that's what the RFI piece is really for so that companies can train a field person without making them go through all of the modeling stuff. And, you know, I think that that's really valuable in a way that we need to grow the industry. Companies can grow faster.
0: Well, there was, um, there was this great episode? I think it was on the BS and beer show where we were talking, and a builder said, We have one guy on the job site who's in charge of air sailing, right? They're in charge of making sure that after every subcontractor that comes in, every hole is patched, every thing, every fixture is caulked, whatever needs to be done, they're in charge of the air sealing for this building. Right. So that person has a big responsibility and they're in charge of making sure that everything happens. That would be the perfect person on every crew to have taken that, be able to look at the field inspection, see what's getting done, and then do blower door guided air sealing if they need to. Um, I think you said you've been following me on Instagram for a while. So you've probably seen, uh, or heard me say, I think that everybody should have a blower door. Like Every contractor should have a blower door. It should just be across the board. Um, As an architect that does field visits, I have a blower door. Um, It's been hanging out at a client's house because we did a pre-insulation blower door test. And now we need to go back and do a post-insulation blower door test. And this has been hanging out there for
1: the last two weeks. But I huh. completely agree. Everybody should have a blower door or at everybody least know should what have it a blower is. door
0: or have access to a blower door because you know yep. what? We don't use it every day. It's another piece of equipment that gets used every day. But if there was, you know, maybe there just needs to be service stations that rent blower doors. You know, <laughs> it's like there's five blower doors here, not everybody's gonna need them on the same day. Come and get it, do some blower door guided air sealing, rent it for a week, rent it for a day, and you know share if we need to share the equipment but in the grand scheme of construction and everything else i also think that it wasn't that expensive of a piece of equipment
1: so um yeah i know a, I, well i only know one builder who owns his blower door with like no certifications and no intent to do it for anybody else but you build some very very tight houses because he'll just spend a couple a week with his blower door set up looking for the leaks you know and yeah i think that that would be great or like if you just work closer with your hers raider and tell them that you want to do more blower door tests or something like that get the blower door on site more often it's the worst time for the blower door to show up is when all of the trim is done and homeowners are trying to move in
0: Yes, yeah. because that's the point at which it gets much more difficult to fix any air leakage that you have because all of yeah. your finishes are done. You're down to putting on light switch covers and, you know, maybe hanging a fixture or two, right? And so at that point it's almost too late. And mm-hmm. um that's what we try to impart to our different, you know, our different contractors, depending on what we're doing, you know, when to show up, when to do blow door testing now there's a point at which you have builders who are are excellent at it where you can do blower door tests if you want to and and a lot of them do because they're good at it but you know their their pre-final blower door test is like 0.62 and they're like oh we can do better than that and they get it down to 0.25 right i mean that's just that's crazy right i mean it's amazing but um (laughs)
1: Right, there are some builders that maybe their pre drywall inspection is really just you checking over their air ceiling details because they're usually right. Like yeah, but having that third party eyes on because sometimes the air ceiling's taking place at like five o'clock on a Friday, so they miss a couple places in the top plate or something like that. I think that hers Raiders are very valuable resource that not enough builders are taking advantage of yet.
0: Yeah. And even if we're not certifying a house, um, I still generally put into my contracts to show up at those five or six inspection points that a HERS rater would do during the course of construction to take a look at those things and just kind of check in, see. Um, because the other thing, too, as an architect or designer, is what works really well on paper and is, you know, a great detail in theory isn't always the easiest thing to install. And so it's definitely worthwhile to check in with the builders to see if it were an okay, if it was really awful, if they have any thoughts after doing it that they would do differently to achieve the same same goals. And so those five or six times during construction to do those inspections at critical points and critical junctures is a great learning experience too. So we build that in, whether we're going to do a hers rating or not.
1: I wish I had see more architects on site. Cause then there's one thing that's a pet peeve of mine is when a floor joist blocks a rim joist, like you can't get insulation into that rim joist properly because the floor joist is too close to the wall. Like that frustrates me endlessly because you know, that rim joist is not air sealed properly. It's going to rot. Like, and if, people were just on site more often and saw details come to life like that, I don't think that it would happen.
0: It is a really interesting relationship in our building industry. Um, And it's partially as we develop our own networks is you know, I work with a bunch of builders who love to see me show up on the job site and, you know, they'll tell me what went right and they'll tell me what went wrong and they'll tell me what they want to change. And it's a very collaborative effort and we all get better for it. Um, as a historically speaking across the board, that's not as common as it as it should be. And um So of course you know builders hate architects and designers and designers are frustrated by builders and you know the everybody's like why'd the plumber run this stuff here you know and so it's like we we are in some ways i think being driven by our you know our market demand is like oh okay well you design this i don't need you anymore you know from the homeowners um and so if we build it into our context. So in the beginning, while they're still, you know, in the in the dream phase of putting it together, so that we make sure that we show up at the critical parts during construction, and that it gets to the point where, if you have a question, just call me. I'm not saying I was right. There's a, every reason to believe that there could be a better way to do it that you've done 500 times. If I knew everything, I would be. I don't know. Would, would be doing a lot of different things, right? Sure. Um, and so, it's just that that uh, respect for each other, and I think that that you eventually find that in your practice and the people that you work with and the people that you recommend. And you know, I don't do bid work anymore just because it's no, no matter what you put in your drawings, everyone will bid it a different way based on their either understanding of the drawings or how they've built in the past or what they've done. And so, it's much better when you bring the builder on during the design. Everybody's on the same page. It's a collaborative effort. Oh, Hey, Emily, we've done X, Y, and Z. Can we do it that way? Um, I was working with a client who had some chemical sensitivities. And so we had to take as much petroleum out of her house as possible. And, um, at first I thought, Oh man, how's this going to go? And then I talked to the builder who they had, um, Had picked to do it. And he says, Oh, yeah, we don't use any plywood. We just, you know, we use board sheathing for our floors, for our walls, for our roofing. Um, That's just our normal. We've always built that way. And it was like, boom, instantly, we had cut out a significant amount from the whole house. And I was like, That's the collaboration. That's what we want, you know, because they did that as their normal practice, it didn't add any cost to the project. And so those are the kind of creative and fun things that I think happen when everybody starts talking to each other.
1: Right, I think that collaboration is what is missing from building. And yeah, lot, and like I think that's... the
0: hers Raiders bring a lot to the table to pull those collaborations together, hopefully.
1: Yeah, hopefully. That's. I think that it is, a missing link because the insulators and the HVAC contractors probably never talk to each other, and so if you get the hers rater to kind of be a middleman, <laughs> yeah, I actually, I
0: have one company that does. Um, he has two different divisions of his company. He does insulation, and then he does ventilation and heating systems, or well, mostly just heat pumps. And so it's great because their insulation team and their ventilation team, and their mechanical team all work together. They all work for the same company. They all have the same thought process behind it. And it's like, these things seem diametrically opposed. Like, why is the same company doing these two different things? But at the same time, it's so great because it's just one less coordination that you have to do during during the process.
1: So. I love the heating and ventilation because my brother jokes about that. He's like, I can install boilers and I know a lot about ERVs and bath fans, but I, I don't want to mess with refrigerant. I just need somebody to handle the AC guy, AAC part. I'm the HV. <laughs> so like that's that's all you need in the northern climates, like the Adirondacks or in Maine. <laughs> like most of our houses are still boilers. Hmm. Maybe they'll put a heat pump in, but I, I had the same thing. Like when I started hers rating, most of my experience with duct testing was the testing, (laughs) like getting my certifications. And then once I was in the field, I don't see any duct work (laughs) until we run into ERVs.
0: uh, Hers was, I think, um, started in Colorado, I believe, and um, they have a lot of duct systems in Colorado. So it was like this big thing. And it was kind of a joke um, when I did this like 10 or 11 years ago, because we didn't have any air conditioning like 10 years ago. It was really, really rare. And people weren't really doing mini splits and that kind of stuff yet. So it was really rare to see air conditioning in Maine. And then it was really rare to see forced hot air. And it is still fairly rare to see any kind of ventilation ventilation is starting to catch on people are starting to get it and we have um now granted a hurricane is coming this way which is part of the reason why it's it's really warm but it doesn't get that hot in Maine but the humidity gets crazy and so now we're starting to see um HVAC plus dehumidification because it's not that warm but it's really really humid so it's like 70 degrees outside and it's 75 percent humidity and so people are starting to see moisture issues and then they're cooling things down not realizing the air conditioning is dropping the temperature but it's raising the humidity it's like ah <laughs> so yeah so yeah humidification
1: they- is a tricky piece to the whole so uh Asian.
0: <laughs> yeah so when i was learning so much about energy auditing and hers writing and our trainer who was doing her stuff and it was so like we get to the cooling part and we'd sort of gloss over it <laughs> be like this is what you need to know for your certification but you're probably not going to see it so we're not going to talk about it much you know and like, but now 10 years later and as the climate crisis is changing and the climate zones are getting warmer and we're seeing much more air conditioning and you know the advent of mini splits as people are putting them in for heat but now they have access to air conditioning and they're turning them on it's like ooh, as mainers we don't know how to do air conditioning so like what what do we need to relearn because we just never learned about cooling because we didn't do it that much so
1: mm-hmm. and in some parts of the country they're having to deal with heat a little more than they're used to having yes to i know
0: it. um It was when Texas was totally frozen and then um, was it a couple of weeks ago where it was like the hottest on record in like the Northeast or something. And we were like, we apologize, Texas. We didn't mean it. Right. Yep. So, but in fairness, it's, it's so much worse to freeze and have frozen pipes and the fallout from what they had versus, you know, the just incredible heat and humidity that we're not used to, but is a lot less likely to shut mm-hmm. everything down.
1: Yep. There, that freeze actually had a major impact on the spray foam industry because a lot of the manufacturing is down in Texas. So they're still reeling from that. Not that that's bad news for you. I was going to say, which
0: personally doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. uh, If if we don't, we use very, very little spray foam. Every once in a while, there's a cause that just, it it makes sense Um, for durability reasons. uh, We have a lot of really old foundation work that's rubble stone. And there's just not a lot of great options to deal with that. Um, you know, and there are better foams than others, which is good. Um, but still not something that you'd want to do if you don't have to. And so we try to be as foam free as possible. It's not always possible. And there are cost things that you have to do and you have to take into consideration. So,
1: yeah, that's, I am, I joke that I'm a recovering foam, a spray foamer, because that's what I did before I was, I did spray foam and I did cellulose heavily before i got into energy auditing so
0: well we hope i agree we hope that spray foam for you won't be what asbestos was for the previous generation where
1: exactly they installed
0: all the asbestos it actually was great at what it did it just wasn't so great as it broke down and then started to be this really awful thing um
1: but so I agree with like the rubble stone and maybe rim joists and areas like that keep it minimal (laughs) and then that's where spray foam is best used
0: yeah everything and use
1: hfos I wish all right I might get too into the weeds on this I wish that we were more like Canada in our certification process of spray foamers the United States is kind of like the wild west as far as spray foam companies go and like what they have to do for regulations and training and Canada has a much more rigorous program and they have to do density testing and adhesion testing after they've sprayed every set of foam they've done is my understanding so I think that if we just brought the spray foamers along taught them the building science teach them when it actually is necessary that would be a big part of the solution here and move towards hfos nobody needs to be spraying hfcs anymore
0: yeah i wish that we would get on board with that i think it's like since the 70s we've banned like six chemicals in the united states like we just were we're We're not doing very good on our, on our chemical bands for sure. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting what things have become just like commonplace in our builds that we've just grown accustomed to, um, which products have become the norm because it meets some target. I think a lot of people really liked spray foam because it helped a lot with air sealing targets, but it makes me wonder after the first year or two, how how well is that air seal, you know, still doing? So aside from aside from the environmental impacts and the health impacts of the spray foam, is how well does that hard material do after the rest of the building has dried out? Because generally it's wet for a year or two until it acclimates, dries out, does whatever it's going to do. And so um, and this might be across the board on things is, you know, does every house need a year later visit to see like what's happening in the structure? Um, this is also another thing that I, I, I think has become a thing for me because I'm a house Raider, which is, um, I often will go through even after, Our homeowners have been given a um, walkthrough by their HVAC contractors on how to use their systems. When I come back to do my final inspection, right? So as a HERS rater, you're doing final inspection. You're testing out the ventilation system. You're testing the heating system. You're looking at all the appliances and everything. Like I'll do another walkthrough again to see if my clients know how to appropriately use the systems. Not just like how to turn it on and this is dry, but like when does the erv need to run at x volume when does the erv turn on too frequently because it senses that the humidity is too high inside but it's actually higher outside and so you've created a bigger issue you know so trying to to see if they understand how all the systems in their houses work because oftentimes our clients are moving into a high performance house that maybe they didn't live in a high performance house beforehand. And so they, they don't know how to live with the heat pump. You know, they're, they're used to that boiler that runs 180 degree water. Right. And so, but your heat pump, it's going to take it a lot longer to bring your house up to temperature. If you turn it way, way back every night. And so, you know, just going through all that stuff. And I think because as a herds rater you have to do those final inspections to test out and verify that the systems are working properly. It's just become a thing where then I walk through with the homeowner. Uh, and maybe because I also did, um, I also did energy audits for existing houses where, at those points, I think most of those homeowners follow you around so you can tell them what they already have. (laughs) So I've just, it's just sort of become a thing that I like to do with my clients is, you know, do you know what you have? Do you know how it works? Do you know who to get in contact with? Do you know the maintenance schedule? Do you know what you're doing? Do you know what's happening here? So. Yep.
1: Um, I totally agree. I think that you've talked about um, having a QR code in the utility room. And I think that a homeowner manual, a very in-depth homeowner manual should be something that's standard everywhere to explain how that specific home works. Cause not no home works the same way as another you're moving. You can be moving from like an 1800s farmhouse to this basically passive house level house. You don't know how to live in it. Right. You know. So yeah. Um, Also, I'd like to say that personally, those were my opinions on spray foam. But professionally, I'm supposed to be unbiased, and every insulation works the same.
0: (laughs) You may be unbiased as the professional organization that you stand for. I don't have to be unbiased because I own the company, so I can say that I don't like spray foam. (laughs) So I'll take that one on myself. So, um, well. I love talking about hers ratings and what you have to offer and training. Um, I hate to keep you here for more than an hour. So um, to close out the show, just tell people one, how they can get in contact with you or your company, if they want to take training or learn more about training and then any final parting words that you want to say about either being a hers Raider or getting the certification or, or what's available. So thank you for coming on the show. Tell us where people can find you.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. So you can find us on thebear.com, um, or reach out to info at the bear or building efficiency resources on pretty much any of the social media. Um, I just want to say to hers raters that are listening or potential hers raters that are listening to not forget about how important your work is and get like beat down by how busy you might be right now. Because I think that sometimes we lose focus and can slack. So um, yeah, for the energy, environmental, and for people's comfort, HERS ratings are extremely important. So keep up the good work to everybody in the energy efficiency industry.
0: That's awesome. Thanks for coming today. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in for season three of the podcast. If you want more information on the guest, check out the show notes. If you want to contact me with a question, a comment, or a suggestion for the show, reach out emily at mottramarch.com. You can find me on Instagram, mottramarch, or on LinkedIn, Emily Matram. And you can find me on Thursday nights at the BS and Beer Show. So come join us live one week. Until then, stay nerdy.